This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. We are now in the first chapter of John. We are in the second, uh, the, the first letter of John, the second chapter beginning with verse 7 through 17. We're in a series, Walking in the Light. Hear God's word. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new commandment that is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says I am in the light while hating a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Whoever loves a brother or sister lives in the light. And in such a person, there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates another believer is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and does not know the way to go because the darkness has brought on blindness. I'm writing to you little children, because your sins are forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young people, because you have conquered the evil one. I write to you children, because you know the father. I write to you fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young people, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. The love of the father is not in those who love the world for those, for all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, The pride in riches comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires are passing away. But those who do the will of God live forever. The word of the Lord. Well, I... I'm grateful that we have this opportunity to look at this word. Let's go to the Lord now and ask that he would speak to our hearts. Lord Jesus, you're the only one who has the word and the ability to unlock us, to let us be attached to the love of God and attached to one another. And so we pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would take this word and apply it to us in such a way that it becomes life and light 
and a way to walk. We humbly ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. It was 70 years ago that Chad Walsh forecast the future of Christianity in his book, Early Christians of the 21st Century. And seeing the church of the 1950s, he predicted that by the 21st century, Christians would hold a sentimental and vague religious belief and it would be based more on their emotions than on any real knowledge. He anticipated that Christians in the 21st century would be looking for a church based on its music more than on what they learned their faith required of them. He feared that anyone who came in contact with 21st century version of Christianity would be vaccinated with such a mild case of faith that they would never catch the real thing. I wonder if we have the real thing or if we have been inoculated by a watered down version of Christianity. It's not just a 21st century question. It was the concern of the Apostle John in the late first century. And that's why he wrote this letter. The question we're going to look at today is, do we pass the test of love? And we will examine our ultimate love. And we will look at whether we're walking in love. Do we pass the test of love? The context is in the late first century when lots of Christians were talking the talk, but not walking the walk. God's self-revelation fulfilled in Jesus is summed up by John in chapter one, verse five. God is light and in him, there is no darkness at all. John wants to make sure that we see clearly that there is nothing bad in God. There is no darkness. There is no sin. Therefore, those who say they know God should be progressively more and more like Jesus in their relationships and their thoughts and moral actions. What we say should be evident in what we do. John gives us three-fold test. We talked about that two weeks ago. And last week, Tyler was sharing the repentance so that we are turning to the light. This three-fold test is what confirms whether we have a place in heaven and whether heaven has a place in us. Last week the National College Board announced that major changes have been made to the SAT college entrance exam. Due to the pandemic and beleaguered students, there is no longer an essay option. And there is no longer specific subject matters that will be tested. Does the test given in scripture 
of true Christianity change over time or due to our circumstances? No. Chapter two, verse three says, this is how we may be sure that we are in him. Verse six, whoever says I abide in him ought to walk just as he walked. I find a translation that's helpful for me is the message by Eugene Peterson. He translates that verse, chapter two, verse six. Anyone who claims to be intimate with God ought to live the same kind of life Jesus lived. Anyone who claims to be intimate with God ought to live the same kind of life Jesus lived. So this threefold test is the moral test. Are we obedient to God's commands? The social test, do we love? The doctrinal test, do we believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh? Our verses today, John's, John chapter 2, 7 through 17, looks at this second part. Do we love? Is God's love evident in our lives? The command is old. It's as old as Leviticus 19, verse 18. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then again, says John, it's actually new. Because Jesus has demonstrated the extent and depth of God's love. It's the love of Jesus that we are to walk in. Last week in Growing Together, one person questioned what Jesus meant when he said, love as he loves. Love for our spouse looks different than love for our kids or our parents or friends or fellow citizens. For the Jews of Jesus' day, this command to love your neighbor included one's family and friends, and if intentionally applied, it might extend to one's nation. But to the religiously righteous first century Jew, this Old Testament command to love did not extend to anyone practicing a sinful lifestyle. Such a person represented someone whom God wished to destroy. To the religiously righteous Jew of the first century, the command to love did not extend to people outside the Jewish faith. They were despised, as some Christians today feel about Hindus or Muslims or atheists. Look at the love of Jesus. What kind of love did he show? He was known as the friend of sinners. This morning in Matthew chapter 5, we heard read Jesus' words. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Do you and I love like that? Writer Anne Lamont says, you can safely assume that you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people that you do. Gordon MacDonald, he was the founding pastor of Grace Chapel 
in Lexington, Massachusetts. He talks about how he was groomed by other Christians to hate a certain church leader. The name of this leader was associated with everything heretical, as if this man was the embodiment of the devil himself. One afternoon during a full-fledged nor'easter that only we get, a rain-soaked individual showed up at the office door at Grace Chapel. It was this despised man who was now quite old. He said that he had stopped by to see Gordon McDonald because he was visiting relatives in the area. He said that he wanted to express how much McDonald's books and articles meant to him. McDonald was speechless. Here was a man, liberal in his theology, telling him that he was grateful for what he had written. McDonald invited him into his office. It happened to be a season in McDonald's life, which he questioned his call. He questioned whether he was a writer. And he realized in that moment that God sent his enemy, this man, to give him words of encouragement. When the conversation was over, the old man prayed, and much like a priest, he put his hands on McDonald's shoulders and lifted him up to God. Gordon McDonald says that it was this experience which taught him to never again use his Christian platform to disrespect or disparage any person upon whom God was smiling. Is there someone upon whom God is smiling that you have rejected? Do we pass the test of love? It requires us first to examine our ultimate love. Let's look at that. We all have an ultimate fundamental love that gives our life direction. We move toward what we love. We're like sharks in this way. Sharks like the great white shark, the whale shark must constantly swim or else they will die. Only by swimming with their mouth open can sharks have sufficient water flowing through their gills to oxygenate their blood. You and I are existential sharks. We're constantly moving towards some goal. Our Christian forefather, Augustine, located this goal-directed organ in the heart. The heart is the seat of our longings and desires. It is the compass for our lives. We move in the direction of what we love and want. And John asks us to examine our ultimate love in our heart. Do we love God or do we love the world? They are opposed to each other. Which direction are you swimming? Look at the love of, for God. It's in verses 12 through 14, John recognizes that there are different levels of spiritual maturity, but all have a relational attachment to the Father. He's writing to Christians, and he does not want any of us who have sensitive consciences to be alarmed. So regardless of our spiritual maturity, he wants us to have a confidence 
if God's love is in us and if our love is in God. So he writes, children. Those are those who are young in the faith, not just young in years. Those who have recently come to know of God's love for them, recently experienced that forgiveness of their sins. John confirms that forgiveness and the true knowledge of God is evidenced in their attachment to God. He writes to young people. That's a metaphor for those who are on the front line, those who are earnestly and vigorously engaging in Christian living in the midst of a fallen world. Those who face the constant tension of living in a world that is opposed to God and yet living attached to Jesus. John assures those on the front line that they have overcome the evil through God who lives in them. He writes to fathers. Fathers are a metaphor for believers who have lived a long time in the faith. They've gained spiritual wisdom. They know God in a deeper rested way. Children, young people, fathers, metaphors of differing levels of spiritual maturity, whose ultimate love is God. It's God's love in them that moves them to love others. What do you and your relationships reveal? Is your ultimate love? Which direction are you swimming? The movie, Remember the Titans, it was based on a true story of a 1971 Virginia high school football team. It's a time when the government required public schools to be racially integrated. Gary, he's an all-white, all-American white athlete. Julius, a black star defensive player. They're hostile toward each other. In a two-week football camp, Gary and Julius are assigned the same room. A racially charged fight ends up and Julius and Gary have a heart-to-heart -heart conversation. Julius confronts Gary about his silence when the white team members deliberately miss blocks for the black players. And during the next practice, Gary confronts a white player for his behavior. That act of leadership becomes a catalyst of change for the rest of the team. The motive of the relationship between Gary and Julius at first appears to be their common love of football, their desire to win. But over time, the motive is shown to be something different, something deeper. Gary is in a car accident. It leaves him paralyzed from the waist down. The entire football team goes to the hospital, but Gary asks to see only Julius. When Julius walks into the room, a nurse tries to prevent him. Only Ken are allowed in here, she says. But Gary says, it's all right. Can't you see the family resemblance? He's my brother. As Julius stands at Gary's bedside, Gary says, when I first met you, I was scared of you. I only saw what I was afraid of. And then through tears, he confesses. But then I saw I was only hating my brother. What do your relationships reveal? 
Is God your ultimate love? If so, no matter your spiritual maturity, you will progressively mature to love, to love those outside, those who you never dreamed you would love. Are you swimming in that direction? Look at the love of the world. That's in 15 through 17. This word world, it appears six times in these three verses. John uses the word world in his gospel and in his letters. He uses it three ways. The first we read in the gospel of John, chapter one, verse 10, he came into the world. That world cosmos is means beautiful. It's where we get cosmetology for making someone beautiful or cosmology, like the beautiful universe. The other, other use of the word means the world of people. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, the world of people that he sent his only son. The majority of the time when John uses this word world, He's referring to the world of people in rebellion against God. Seminary professor David Wells writes, worldliness is what makes sin look normal in any age and righteousness seem odd. Let me repeat that. Worldliness is what makes sin look normal in any age and righteousness seem odd. So the desire of the flesh, it's not just the stuff of daytime soap operas and adult programming. It's any lustful craving in which we indulge and condone. The desire of the eyes and the pride and riches, not only greed and covetousness for more, to keep up with the Joneses, but trying to exceed them. Worldliness makes oneself the ultimate object of love, placing self at the center. Verse 17, the world and its desires are passing away. It's building your life on sand. It will wash away. So finally, Let's look at walking in love. The term walk, it suggests practical steps. Love shows itself in practical demonstration. It begins somewhere. For some, it will begin with a smile. For others, it will mean serving a person in some way. For others, it will mean taking that step toward forgiveness. To walk in love is to progressively love like Jesus. I have to ask, though, what will send us into burning buildings to find a child or open the door to a prodigal child or search through wreckage of another's life in order to find what is good? What love will suffer anything for the sake of another, even unto death. Children, young people, mothers and fathers in the faith, love like this comes 
through attachment love to God. It comes when the heart has set its compass to God, to want God, and to want to love like God and those whom God loves. It begins when we let God love us, when we let God forgive us in Christ and claim his lordship over our lives. It begins with God who first loved us. I close with a hymn. I've never heard the tune. I found it in a book by Brian Wren, and the title is Lord God, Your Love Has Called Us Here. I'm going to read it. Lord God, your love has called us here as we by love for love were made. Your living likeness still we bear, though marred, dishonored, disobeyed, we come. With all our heart and mind, your call to hear, your love to find. We come with self-inflicted pains of broken trust and chosen wrong, half free, half bound by inner chains, by social forces swept along, by powers and systems close confined, yet seeking hope for humankind. Lord God, in Christ you call our name and then receive us as your own, not through some merit, right, or claim, but by your gracious love alone. We strain to glimpse your mercy seat and find you kneeling at our feet. Let us pray. Lord, let us see you right now, kneeling at our feet, washing us first, looking into our eyes, asking us, do you love me? May we love you, swim toward you, walk toward you, move in you that the world might know that you are in us and that you are for the world. May we be agents of light transformed day by day as we walk with you. We make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.